0: The small group facing the galley was their son, led from the kirk at the top of the street and down towards them, paced by a mournful drumming. His betrothed has been sent away to kin in the Highlands, said the woman beside Johanna. She should have been here. Hush, Mary, she's too young to witness such a thing, said another woman. Johanna had not known Hutchin was betrothed, but she did not ask to whom, trusting to no one. She said a prayer for the young woman, pitying her for such a horrible end to her betrothal. Peter, a young, handsome, well-spoken English soldier, read the accusations against Hutchin. His manner chilled Johanna, for he read Hutchin's death sentence with indifference, as if it meant nothing to those watching. Suddenly, several things happened at once. As the soldiers tied Hutchins' hands behind his back and covered his eyes, his mother lunged towards Peter and grabbed his hand, screaming, What right have you to wear that thief? Her husband grabbed Lilius at almost the moment that Hutchins dropped, his body doing a ghastly jig, his face darkening. Johanna fell to her knees, hiding her own face in her hands. Dear God, may he rest in peace, she whispered over and over to shut out the horrible screams of Lilius Allen. Perth, end of August, 1297. As the summer wore on, the presence of King Edward of England's army in Perth began to fray the tempers of the townsfolk, Women increasingly complained of the rude behaviour of the soldiers, and theft was rampant. The thieves aware of the backlog of more serious crimes to be presented at jail delivery sessions than their small felonies. The walls that the army had reinforced and extended now surrounded the town on three sides, cutting off the merchants' access to their warehouses from the ships in the canal. The English might have compensated for some of the inconvenience by allowing general access along the river front on the east. It would have quieted tempers and cost them little in security. Instead, the restricted access from the River Tay, allowing only one ship per day to offload. Now ships might sit idly at anchor in the river for days, impeding traffic and slowing trade to almost a standstill. Even though the fighting in Dundee at the mouth of the Tay made shipmen hesitant to sail up river, some still did, and to the townsfolk the restrictions were symbolic of the potential loss of freedom if Edward Longshanks was not defeated. For several mornings now, the English soldiers had found breaches in the town walls, small areas where stones had been taken away. Though it was a minor rebellion, they were now questioning all who lingered on the river front, so that the townsfolk were fearful of going abroad. James Common had watched an interrogation turn ugly the previous day. A man who loudly protested at having his person searched had been thrown to the ground and brutally beaten. That was enough to convince James that he should depart Perth while he could. As a member of the powerful common clan and kinsman of the Scottish king deposed by Edward Longshanks, James was ever wary. He'd intended to leave soon in any case, for he'd been summoned to a meeting with William Wallace and Andrew Murray, the leaders of the Scots who were presently at Dundee, trying to force the English troops west towards the Highlands, where, fearful of being lost in the mist shrouded valleys, the English would predictably. Turn south. As he packed a few possessions, an ache in his left shoulder reminded James of the night, several weeks past, when he had escorted Margaret Kerr to Elko Nunnery. He'd caught an arrow in his shoulder as he stealthily rode past Perth. Apparently, he'd not been stealthy enough. The ache was nothing compared with the pain he'd experienced when the arrowhead had first struck into the muscle. At the time he'd been grateful that the invisible archer on the river bank had hit him and not his companion in the boat, the fair Margaret Kerr. He still felt the same. She had been much on his mind the past few weeks.